Your film is now ready to be shown. Good morning. I'm Justin Hendricks, editor of Tech Policy Press, a nonprofit media and community venture intended to provoke new ideas, debate, and discussion at the intersection of technology and democracy. In the age of social media and disinformation, journalists, civil society groups, researchers, and media watchdogs in democracies are figuring out how to band together to create a line of defense against those who seek to sow division and doubt in advance of elections. In the 2020 election cycle in the United States, we saw a variety of groups and coalitions emerge to counter disinformation, from the Election Integrity Partnership to the Disinfo Defense League. This week, a French coalition calling itself the Online Election Integrity Watch Group published a summary report on its activities ahead of this spring's national election there. The group includes entities such as the Alliance for Securing Democracy, Check First, Geode, the Institute of Complex Systems, the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, Tracking Exposed, and Reset Tech, an initiative run by the Luminate Foundation. To learn more about what the Watch Group learned in this election cycle, I spoke to the report's lead authors. Théophile Lenoir, I'm a PhD candidate at the University of Leeds, and I'm also a research associate at Institut Montaigne Think Tank based in France. I'm Iris Boyer. I'm uh, the head of ISD France, which is the French branch of the Institute for Strategic Dialogue, a think tank countering disinformation uh, and polarization in the digital era. So we're about two months out from the French election. I understood it took place between the 10th and the 24th of April, uh, where French voters went to the polls and uh, ultimately uh, re-elected uh, Emmanuel Macron for another five years. And you're now putting out this report, a summary of the report on French elections, looking at the issues of disinformation and the information ecosystem as it regards the election. Tell me, how did this coalition of groups come together? We wanted to um, gather a group of researchers that was able to uh, do some monitoring on disinformation during the elections. This was an initiative that was funded by uh, Reset Tech, which is um, an initiative inside Luminate, a philanthropic organization from the U.S., and, and the idea was really to, um, you know, be able to mobilize civil society to share some methodologies and to do some tracking of content in real time to be able to alert the media on the one hand and also governments, organizations and uh, platforms if anything happened that could uh, put at risk the integrity of the, of the election. What's particularly of interest with this initiative is the fact that it's quite a bottom-up approach, um, and we we decided to to have it really um, um, civil society-led uh, because we basically realized, and we were not the only ones. I think we are sharing this observation with um, each and every one of the the members that the the French ecosystem was quickly organizing itself and uh, itself and was uh, so the the French ecosystem was uh, organizing itself basically professionalizing itself but still uh, we were observing a very siloed and segmented approach whereby you you could see new government agencies working primarily or exclusively on foreign influence and then you had a number of academics doing great work but not necessarily working with one another and then you had the platforms obviously not being necessarily transparent about what uh, their findings were so 
results, it would be really interesting to, to have a civil society-led approach where we share transparently our results and primarily we with the aim of confronting methodologies because it's also something where uh, the French ecosystem has a, a long way uh, to go uh, in terms of uh, digital analysis, OSINT techniques, or pure um, academic analysis, we, we thought it would be really interesting to confront, confront different uh, methodologies. So I'm talking to you in a moment where all of the headlines in the United States still uh, regard the 2020 election here, uh, which of course was marred by disinformation, uh, violence, ultimately. Um, for particularly my American listeners, can you give a little bit of context about the French election and what the sort of sensibility was going into it. You note in the report the importance of the rise of anti-system narratives, which to some extent mirrors perhaps what's happened here in the U.S., but may look a little different in the French context. As you said, what was particularly striking and and, uh, interesting with this campaign, I mean, the first point is that the, the the very campaign started in a, in a heated context where you had really strong opposition to the sanitary uh, government policy um, and a lot of heated debates about the extension of uh, the sanitary pass and other sanitary measures. And this was not the only institutional crisis. Obviously, it followed a series of other institutional crises like uh, the Yellow Vest movements um, and other um, social move- movements about the retirement uh, policies in France, for instance. And what's really important to understand is that throughout these different and successive crises, the digitally skilled activist uh, stakeholders have mobilized themselves online and they have basically structured their movements. So we approached this uh, election in a context where these communities happen to be quite structured and and, uh, conspiracy theories or radical um, ideas happen to be much more integrated to these networks. And so in a way, um, the 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 fear that we had that uh, the threats would necessarily come uh, from abroad, we had to nuance that and, and, and this didn't happen exactly as such. Uh, probably because anyway, these these theories were already really well embedded, uh, and especially given the uptake uh, they took uh, during the during the COVID crisis. So that's kind of for setting the scene. That's kind of the the specific uh, context when we approached this campaign, and and obviously the campaign was kind of segmented across um, different timings. So first there was a. A monopolization of of the the campaign debate around the sanitary policies, and then um, really the identitarian stakeholders, the Zemmour campaign, tends to lead the the debate and to impose identitarian topics. And then uh, we could see definitely a hijacking of the pure traditional political debates in an electoral context by uh, the specific context of the war in Ukraine, uh, obviously. So these these were the different timings. And uh, we could also say a lot more for your American audience, if you want, and and Theo would be really well suited to to do that, about the... um, 
the specific sort of gatekeepers in a French context or the, you know, the specific framework we have in place around elections and, and the differences in our media ecosystem that, that Theo studied really well. You note in the report that you regard the French ecosystem as resilient. And I'd love to talk a little bit about what makes up that resilience from your point of view. Here, we're uh, trying to figure out how perhaps how to, how to manufacture that resilience again. So what we mean by resilient is the fact that during the election, we did see a lot of problematic content. We did see a lot of roaring narratives uh, around the polls, around the legitimacy of the election process, around uh, questioning institutions. But these have remained in relatively closed and fringe communities. And so these narratives haven't entered very highly visible spaces. Um, and so we try to explain, we have a few hypotheses trying to explain why this is the case. Uh, the first one, we've briefly mentioned it, is the, the, the war in Ukraine, which has diverted attention from the campaign. And also has, as a consequence of the war in Ukraine, you had a ban on you know, Russia Today and Sputnik which may have um, had an impact on the ability of foreign actors to interfere with the election. And maybe we can talk about that later. Then the second hypothesis is uh, really about institutional pressure. France was president of the Council of the European Union at the time of the election, on the one hand. And also uh, the government had put in place an agency, Viginium, to track foreign interference during the campaign. And for five years, they passed legislation to better regulate the internet. And so we had a media regulator that was more powerful in 2022 than it was in 2017. Uh, and we think that that might have all these combination of institutional factors might have an impact on how uh, platforms have implemented their response to, to disinformation. Then we have a third hypothesis, which is really to do with the electoral system. And, and maybe that's something that's very important to add in the comparison between the US and, and France. First of all, it's, it's a multi-party election, right? So you don't have one party opposing one another. You have multiple candidates participating in the campaign, which I think has obviously some effects on polarization and, and, and such things. Uh, but also, you don't have distance voting in France, except for some rare occasions. So you don't have distance voting. And you have a lot of polling places all around France, around 70,000 places, which means a lot of citizens are involved in the process of the election and participate in the places and participate in counting the votes and, 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 and things like this. So uh, I think that narratives around uh, voter fraud are probably less successful also because of this. And then one of the last hypotheses is the centrality of the media ecosystem, which is what Iris was just saying. In France, the traditional media still have a strong gatekeeping role. I think it's being challenged, but it's still there, which is good news because it prevents disinformation from entering traditional media and highly visible spaces. And it's also bad news, and that's what worries us, because this is the criticism of French politics. We have a media ecosystem that's very institutionalized and very attached to institutional values. And the issue is that you have a part of the population that doesn't feel represented by that media ecosystem. So, so you have a strong center that keeps the conversation going, but at the same time, you have a lot of people outside of that media environment that don't feel represented. In many ways, you know, stepping back from the report, I suppose we could say that the system stayed on the rails. Um, you know, that's kind of the, the bottom line of this report, uh, ultimately. 
But you do talk about, of course, the rise of these anti-system narratives and then some specific ones. You note the importation of the quote unquote dominion theory to France, which, you know, Americans will recognize as the idea that perhaps the voting machines are are rigged, various other rigged election narratives. Um, you've already talked about the relationship between COVID and fraud narratives. And then I was interested as well to see uh, some evidence of, of the idea of the use of citizen election monitors uh, to not only kind of collect possible artifacts of voter fraud, but also to, you know, then sow doubt using those artifacts. All of that sounds very familiar, in fact, to the playbook that was used here in, in 2020. The fact that it, of course, didn't tip over into uh, having a sort of definitive impact in France, I, I assume that's, that's good for now, but is there, is there danger for the future? Definitely, that's, that's what we believe and that's what we fear. By no means, this this report should read as uh, self-congratulating because if anything, it's it would just be a reminder. Uh, we need to be careful for probably a very near future, you know. And and um, just to chime in on what uh, Theo was uh, saying earlier about the still relatively resilient uh, and relatively centralized media ecosystem in France. It's being challenged, as he said, and 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 the, the problem is that there is what we can see now is definitely a, a distortion of the information ecosystem online and a sort of parallel track uh, of information. For instance, in the in the report, we we have a study that that shows that when we compare the the reinformation websites so or the disinformation website that's called label themselves reinformation. You, you know, the, the 100 biggest French language conspiracy theory website uh, in 2021 had over 60 million monthly visits, which is as many as the, the mainstream outlets Liberation, Le Point, France Bleu and Europe 1 combined. So it just gives you uh, an idea of, of, of the scale and uh, the apparatus uh, of this, this machinery to, to disseminate uh, highly problematic content and, and, and conspiracist theories. And in the, in the very months of the presidential election, in fact, in April 2022, um, the top five websites uh, that were analyzed managed to rack up over 12 million views. So that's that's not nothing. <laughs> and, uh, and it's something we were able to also compare to the uptake in Telegram channels or in Facebook uh, groups that showed a, a pretty similar development. Perhaps coming back to your to your very question on the, the importation of uh, US-inspired electoral fraud narratives, What's, what's really interesting is that we, we have definitely seen coordinated efforts to amplify the, the hashtag the Dominion. When you compare the influence of this campaign to any other hashtag uh, operation, you know, in a political context, it's actually, its impact was relatively small. And this could partly be explained by, uh, by what Theo mentioned earlier, which is the fact that in France, um, we don't really have, uh, we don't have a, a remote voting system. Um, so in a way, uh, this theory about the, about the voting machines is not so relevant. And, and so these kind of observations can tell us a lot about 
successful and unsuccessful attempts to import foreign breeds uh, narratives. We've seen it in the context of the QAnon theories importation. Some were complete fails when they were not anchoring themselves into very French-specific context, but others that really took, made the efforts of um, adapting the, the content to French-specific contexts were super successful and, in fact, spread um, really, really uh, quickly during the, the pandemic. Just to, to talk about the theories around the, the idea that the elections would be rigged, this is something that is also relatively minor, definitely very minor when you compare it to the, the Vote the Steel movement uh, in the U.S., But uh, that being said, in a French context, the developments are worrying and, and, and recent uh, polling showed that 14% of people uh, a few weeks before uh, votes definitely uh, believed that the election will be rigged. Uh, it's not even conditional. Other polling results actually showed that also 14% of people surveyed believed that if Macron uh, was re-elected, the elections would have been rigged for sure. So we are definitely seeing these developments. They are a worry, and, and we, we have also observed the overlap between these beliefs and anti-system rhetoric, systemic anti-system rhetoric. Some of the communities are leaning more towards uh, an anti-elite kind of uh, rhetoric, and, and when they do so, they do tend to spread across uh, the ideological and political spectrum. They are not necessarily far right or far left, but they were uh, spreading across. But we, we also saw a very strong overlap with the anti-COVID measures movements, and, and, and those also had some overlap both with uh, far left anti-globalist narratives and, and, and with at the opposite of the spectrum with far-right identitarian uh, narratives. So this was quite interesting. And perhaps just to illustrate this worrying trend, even if it's a very self-contained uh, movement so far, we have seen the, the development of citizens check or citizens watch movements that basically consisted in motivating people who were already convinced that the elections would be rigged to go and watch and observe uh, the elections and report on, on potential uh, frauds. So naturally, you could think this is a good idea for the, <laughs> for the health of the, of the political system. But at the same time, when we, when we did develop our analysis using open source investigation techniques, we realized some very problematic links between anti-Semitic uh, actors or uh, conspirational uh, actors, including people who had been uh, previously convicted for uh, threatening uh, police forces. But in the end, I mean, the, the good point is that, and we have to recognize that, in the end, even these more hardcore, so to speak, uh, movements didn't end up calling out uh, a so-called uh, so fraud of the election, and they all accepted the results which in fact is a, is a direct mirror of uh, what uh, French politicians across the political spectrum have done. Because even the ones who uh, across the campaign have flirted with the idea that the election might be rigged or the results would be stolen because um, they were criticizing, the, for instance, the parrainage system 
even those have, have, have all accepted the results and uh, the political community was somehow uh, very responsible in the end. This is really a key point in understanding the difference between France and the US because French politicians have played the game of the election. They've respected the democratic process. And obviously the worry is that they might not do that in the future. And that's where this is really related to the discussion on the centrality of the media space and of uh, institutional politics. You have politicians in France that um, are very respectful of institutions so far, but you see that in other information spaces, you don't have that respect of institution and that these narratives are growing and, and they're growing in very structured, mobilized communities. And so the risk is that someday it might become legitimate for a politician actor to say that uh, we should disobey institutions and that the whole process is rigged. And that w would be much closer to what happened in the, in the US. Of course, here in the United States, the presidential candidate uh, and former president Donald Trump raised a huge volunteer network of individuals that were meant to fan out and uh, use their phones to collect what they believed was evidence of voter fraud. And that did, in fact, uh, filter in to media reports and into a kind of broader narrative that was seized on by uh, the president and his advisors. So uh, a kind of very you know, dangerous sensibility if it's not done in, a, in an earnest way. Um, I want to kind of just focus a little bit on in the report, you talk about the idea that uh, institutional pressure uh, increased stakeholder accountability, uh, particularly on the platforms. Um, and of course, you point to uh, regulation, you point to uh, the Digital Services Act, you point to some developments in France specifically. What did the platforms do differently? And how do you relate that to uh, outside pressure? So th this is actually a quite difficult question to answer. What we're saying in the report is that you had a lot of actions being taken from the French government or at the European level that went in the direction of more accountability from platforms and, and more actions uh, on their part. So what we're saying is that this made France a very uh, dangerous ground, especially in the light of the discussion on the Digital Services Act, which is the European text that we regulate platforms that was basically being voted at the time of the French election. So what, what we're saying is that this had an impact on, on, on platform responsibility during the election, but it's really a hypothesis because we are still blocked with access to data to be able to prove to what extent what the platforms um, have put in place had an impact on the circulation of content. So, you know, the examples of things that they've done is labeling problematic content, making sure that official information from, from government was uh, also labeled um, or inviting uh, people to go and vote with uh, information pans on their, on their newsfeed. And so all of these things happened. They happened elsewhere as well. The question is to what extent they've been applied more carefully in France and, and whether platforms have been more attentive to their effect in France. And, and we're, as I said, It's difficult to, to prove and to understand because we still don't have access to, to, to the data on, on this. I would definitely agree with that point. It's a, it's a bit of a, of a weak point of the report in a way, but um, I, I would say it's a, it would be an interesting branch out <laughs> to focus more on that if we had comparative data and, and if we were able to compare data 
between different elections and what the, the platforms have put in place and how they reacted to content being flagged by stakeholders, which we were not able to analyze this time around. And because as Theo said, we we had no access to specific data. What the study shows is that in terms of the highly questionable issue of you know uh, the algorithmic amplification of content, but also um, uh, astroturfing campaigns, platforms were definitely not proactive on this topic. Although some of them. Uh, tend to say that uh, astroturfing uh, and inauthentic coordinated behavior um, is is not allowed on their platform. Uh, we were able to to observe problematic uh, content. So so yeah, this this would be we, we would need to dig this further, and that's exactly why we we made this recommendation in the in the conclu- in the conclusion uh, section but the but it's true that the platform have created new initiatives some of them uh, in partnerships with fact checking organizations and with ngos so there are interesting developments but the the impact of these initiatives are, are, are yet to be to be studied just to come back on on, on another point perhaps i i, I do think that the the, the French regulatory body, ARCOM, which was previously called CSA and which used to focus uh, officially only on broad- broadcast media, uh, the fact that this regulatory body had an official new mandate to specifically observe a platform's accountability, even if this body is still structuring itself and its its work and how they want to apply you know the information space uh, control to to the digi- digital space I, I i do think this this has contributed to putting more pressure on the platforms and um, and this body tends to to do some briefings with both the political actors and the platforms so um, we can only hope that it might have contributed there are other external factors like like the war in Ukraine and the, the diversion it, it has created. And of course, we'll have the Digital Services Act coming into effect in the next cycle. So we'll be able to see if uh, some of those measures and the transparency and independent researcher access that it will mandate uh, may perhaps address uh, some of the uh, data access concerns that, that you had. Just one quick word, perhaps, on the foreign influence uh, before we uh, kind of move to wrap up here. In the U.S., I think some observers have started to sort of dismiss uh, Russian interference in elections um, as a potentially decisive or or very impactful kind of thing. You know, it's number one in the list that you gave earlier of issues, concerns that uh, seem to have been mitigated. Is there still a sort of sense of of the impact of Russian meddling? I don't know quite how to ask this other than just to say, um, you know, you've put a lot of weight on it. Um, you, you feel it is, it, it kind of merits that weight that um, the fact that the Russians seem to stay out mattered. So actually what we're saying is it's putting the emphasis on the war in Ukraine and the fact that this as a media event has diverted a lot of attention from discussions on the political campaign. So because there were no heated debate, what we're saying is that it was probably harder for domestic and international actors to try to play with the narratives and, and, and spread 
uh, disinformation. Now, a, a consequence of the war in Ukraine is the ban of RT and Sputnik, and that's why we put it in this same you know, line of thought. What the report is saying is we did notice that there were much less content related to RT and Sputnik um, uh, related to the election following the ban. Uh, but we are trying to be careful in the so that it's not understood that we're saying that you know Russia is not trying to interfere and to engage in information operations that um, target France. What it's saying later on in the report is that it's probably shifted the the locus of the conflicts. And so, um, an example is in Mali, where this is probably one of the one of the topics where Russia has uh, tried to, uh, you know, attack the, the, the image of France and, and spread some narratives around this. And so what the report is saying is that Russia is still trying to influence, you know, and engage in, 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 in geopolitical actions with information operations, but that because of the war in, in Ukraine and the ban of, of Russia today and Sputnik, it's not been so um, uh, focused on the French election this time. I think what's really important to understand, and and it's probably similar in the in the U.S. to some extent, is that the the sort of uh, Kremlin agenda or the Kremlin playbook has been active for years already, and so this playbook has been fully integrated into communities that bought into uh, Russian affiliate Russian state affiliated media like RT and Sputnik which actually did a pretty good job at covering highly polarizing events in a French context that mainstream media were not covering in a similar way. And so it has aggregated a community of anti-government and anti-system people around them. Uh, and, and, and in a way, it's itself uh, suffice, <laughs> if I may say, and it, it, it can uh, continue to, 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 to grow and to adapt their narratives more organically uh, and, and more focused on, uh, on, uh, on French context. And what Theo has said uh, is, is very true. The, 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 the next challenge now is, is really the, the very rapid and, and uh, very aggressive spreading of anti-French narratives in French-speaking Africa uh, in a number of countries. Um, and, and this is something to, to watch out for, uh, especially in the context where uh, only Europe banned this, uh, these media outlets and where these media outlets are, are pretty active uh, in other regions of the world. So I want to conclude just with a question about the online election integrity watch group, which to some extent, it looks like it was perhaps inspired or informed a little bit by the election integrity partnership here in the U.S., um, which, of course, was a temporary group that was stood up to kind of monitor and counter very obvious disinformation about the 2020 election. And, you know, I'm interested to some extent in how the groups like this, which are ad hoc whether the these capabilities are going to be, you know, formalized, funded, perhaps, you know, in between the cycles, what happens to them, and whether these types of efforts have to become a kind of permanent feature of the, the defenses that democracies have related to elections. How do you think about that? Are you going to kind of continue? Uh, are you in a hiatus at the moment, or does the after the publication of this report, or does the group keep going? What we've tried to do here is, you know, mobilize a group of actors that is doing daily work on disinformation operation and trying to monitor content. And, and by the way, I really want to thank the, the member of, uh, members of the different organizations that 
Alliance for Securing Democracy, Check First, the GEOD, uh, and Institut Français de Geopolitique, the Institute of, of, of System Complex uh, at, the, at the CNRS, a uh, uh, French university, the Fondation Descartes, ISD, Observatoire du Conspirationnisme, Predicta Lab, and, and Tracking Exposed. All of these organizations have really made the, 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 the report possible. I think the main challenge uh, that was uh, related to the election is you know, uh, uniting efforts to make sure that we have eyes everywhere. And I, I don't know if this is necessary at all times, you know, and, and I think it's important to have in very important democratic times such as elections, but it's not necessarily that something that has to be ongoing. Obviously, that's my personal opinion, and maybe, Iris, you have a, a different view on this. No, I think, I mean, I think it was overall, it was the way I see it for us, it was a test case, really. We, we really meant to demonstrate to different stakeholders in France, including French government, including platforms, including NGOs who often feel a bit secluded and, and um, not enough funded and uh, that they don't have enough resources uh, or support. We wanted to show them that. It's, it's possible to, to have a, a bottom-up approach um, and to, to confront methodologies and, and pull together some interesting results that show a different side of the story. Um, and, and by doing so, we, we wanted to really shed light on the, the struggles and hustles of this very sector and, and particularly the challenges that's needed, included, including in, in, in the upcoming application of the Digital Services Act. Um, so, so I think to that respect, we did well, I think, because we managed to share these results with a variety of stakeholders. I think the, the problem you raised, uh, which is the sustainability of this kind of uh, settings, is, is, is an important issue in a French context where it's really difficult to get government money and where the philanthropic sector is actually underdeveloped. So um, the sustainability of, uh, of this group will, will definitely depend on how it can sustain itself because we can't maintain, uh, you know, such a active uh, group um, just by doing voluntary work. But I, I, I do hope it's, it will uh, hopefully inspire more of the same and that it can also inspire institutional stakeholders to, to think more, you know, uh, in more cross-sectorial ways about policies and, and, and also initiatives they want to put in place to secure the next elections. I don't know if congratulations are in order for having a relatively clean and successful election, but uh, perhaps as an American, I can say congratulations to you all for your role in that. Um, and thank you for speaking to me today. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. That's it for this episode. I hope you'll send us your feedback. You can write to me at justin at techpolicy.press or find us on Twitter at techpolicypress. Thanks to my co-founder, Brian Jones. Thanks to my guests. And thank you for listening. Tech Policy Press.